Wow. Um, so how about that song for taking something really familiar and turning it in a new way that lets you see the truth of who Christ is? That's what we're wanting to do every Sunday morning during this season of Advent. We're using familiar stories about the birth of Jesus from the New Testament and hoping to turn them in such a way that they, they catch the light from the Holy Spirit to, to help us see in a new way what it means, not just in general, but for each of us specifically, that Jesus has been born. Um, today we'll read, as Luke hinted earlier, from the story of, of Mary and how she responded once the angel Gabriel came to her to announce that she was going to give birth to the Son of the Most High God, Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer. So last week we read that story. Immediately after that, Mary, who has also heard from Gabriel that her relative, as some people call her cousin, we don't really know what the relationship was, with another woman older named Elizabeth. Gabriel said, hey, Mary, more good news. Not only are you going to give birth to God's son, your cousin Elizabeth is going to give birth to the greatest prophet who ever lived. His name will be John the Baptist. And as great as he is, he's only preparing the way for the greater one, Jesus. So Mary, in her excitement, goes to share this joy with her relative, Elizabeth. For Mary, this would have meant a several days' journey, likely on foot from where she lived in Nazareth to um, someplace near Jerusalem. That's the story we'll hear now, the story of Mary and Elizabeth rejoicing at what God is doing in the coming of Jesus. Sonia, will you read for us? Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture today is taken from Luke 1, verses 39 to 49. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's take a minute and pray. Um, I'm going to pray specifically for a, an important ministry that a group of us from in town have the privilege of sharing in today. Um, one of the pastors that I've met through a local church planting network is Tay Chin. He pastors Siloam Community Church, a majority Korean American congregation church plant that was beginning just as the pandemic started. And in faithfulness, this group followed God's call to begin that new congregation. And now in faithfulness, they're deciding to follow God's call to, to bring that church plant to an end. It's, it's a heavy day for them. And they've uh, invited several of us from in town to come and be with them for their final worship service, which is at one o'clock this afternoon. So could I ask you maybe to set an alarm for one o'clock? Some of you, time is your natural language and you have this internal alarm that will go off at one and you'll pray for Tay and for his wife, Sophia, and for Siloam. Others of you need, you know, a smartwatch, you need an alarm, you need to put it on your phone. But at one o'clock, if you could pray for that church as they begin their last worship service. and I'll pray for us and for them right now. Could I ask you if you're part of that team that's going to worship with them or if you've been praying behind the scenes for Siloam, if you'll stand and I'll ask God to bless us uh, in that ministry that we have later today. Lord God, we give thanks to you. You are the God who sows seeds from which crops grow, fruit harvested. That's the language that Jesus uses to speak to us about spiritual change in this world. He says that farmers go out and sow seeds and those seeds land on fertile soil and they bear a crop that yields 30 or 60 or 100 times as much as what was sown. And Lord, we trust that right now you're sowing seeds through the scriptures in the hearts of everyone who's in this room. And we pray that that process of transformation that Jesus spoke of would happen in every heart, in every life. And we pray the same thing for the work done by our brothers and sisters at Siloam Community Church, that over the past 18 months, they have been sowing seeds And those seeds will lie in the ground and they will bear fruit. And even though this congregation is coming to an end as a separate entity, the ministry they have had will continue because of the promises of Jesus to be at work through the word. Lord, we pray for our brother Tay and for his wife Sophia that you would walk them through this difficult day. We pray for the other leaders of Siloam. We pray for their congregation. We ask, Lord, that you would bless those of us who are able to be with them today to represent you, to represent in town. May we faithfully love our brothers and sisters well and shepherd them on a hard day. Can we carry burdens, lift responsibilities off their shoulders for this service so that they can simply enjoy your healing comforting, strengthening presence. Thank you for making us part of a larger church. We're not just about ourselves. We want to be part of the wider world. We want to be part of your 
bigger church. And today we get to live that out. We thank you for it. We ask that you would bring much fruit out of the seeds that are sown on this day. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. Um, every family has, you know, their little catchphrases that they've picked up from shared moments, shared experiences. And in the Egan family, one of those, well, it comes from, it comes from a cartoon called The Ant and the Aardvark. Now, are, if there are any Pink Panther fans in the house, you know, these old Pink Panther cartoons that were so wonderful and and. You know, one of the Pink Panther's buddies was this ant, and um, the ant's always been chased around by, by the big blue aardvark. And so one of our favorite phrases comes from this cartoon where the aardvark is running after the ant, and he, you know, he's not in great shape <laughs> if you look at him. He's maybe had a few too many ants to eat. And, um, so he's huffing and puffing, and he's got this glorious accent. I, I don't know how to, how to even classify the accent. But, but as he's running after the ant, he's like, Hey, ant, I need to have a word with you. <sighs> and the word is, stop. <laughs> and so at random moments, you know, Egan's or now Wolf's will just say, Hey, ant, I need to have a word with you. Um, well, today in town, I need to have a word with you. Actually, I need to have three words with you. Uh, three words from this text about Mary and Elizabeth rejoicing together at what God is doing as a Savior through the coming of Jesus. Three words that have a whole lot of importance to them and, and we could easily miss what's going on in the world if we don't fully understand their importance. The first word is magnify. Luke mentioned earlier and, and if you're looking at a, a printed Bible or even a Bible on your phone that uses headings before each division of, of a scripture text, it probably says at verse 46, the Magnificat, right? So verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This, this song that Mary sings, this poem of praise that pours out of her soul has traditionally been called the Magnificat because Mary is saying, I want to magnify the Lord because of what he has done. It's a verb that literally means to make bigger. It starts with the Greek word mega, right? Big, giant. My soul is making God bigger. Well, there, let's stop and think about two ways to do that, two ways to approach magnifying God that will change everything. We could approach it like a microscope, making something small appear bigger than it really is. We could magnify God in that way. A Christian approach to that would be to kind of say, you know what, God's kind of small. He only takes up a little bit of my life. But every once in a while, we kind of get the microscope out and we 
blow him up and act like he's bigger than he really is. So every Sunday for a couple of hours, we, we kind of pretend he's big. And then we turn the microscope off and we go back to normal life and he's this tiny little thing, insignificant, can't even see him with the naked eye, can't even tell he's part of my life at all unless you look really, really, really close. Oh, and Christmas is one of those times and Easter might be one of those times and there might be other moments where we kind of take the microscope out and we turn it on and we say, God is big and he's big and he's important and magnify him and then, uh, but really he's small. Now there, there's, there's a secular approach to this too, which is, you know, people who don't believe in God saying, you know what, if you want to play games with your religious traditions about your so-called God, go ahead just make sure he stays small and harmless and he doesn't start to impact my life and my world. Keep him tiny. We're good with that. You get the feeling that that's not what Mary meant when she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She, she, she wasn't saying, I think God is kind of tiny, so let's Elizabeth, let's take a few minutes to pretend together that he's bigger than he really is. I mean, if you're paying attention at all <laughs> to Mary's words, you know that's not what she meant. So there's another way of magnifying God, and it works less like a microscope and more like a telescope. You don't have to make a star big. It's already big. And the telescope is, is, is not the way of sort of making something small look bigger than it really is. It's a way of taking something that is enormous and radiant and, and glorious and making its radiance and its glory more evident than it could have been if you were just trying to process it on your own. So you can look at the heavens in the middle of the night and you can see there is amazing stuff out there in the universe. But you can only see so much of its glory with your naked eye. And so there are people who help us to see the glory, right, to kind of pull it down so we can appreciate it. Tricia and I recently had a chance to go uh, be with a, a sister church, a couple of sister churches in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, we went up a few days early because we hadn't ever had a chance to go to D.C. and visit some of the Smithsonian museums. We're walking through the Museum of Air and Space, and they have this um, display about telescopes. And as you're kind of walking through chronologically, you're, you're seeing these sort of these primitive telescopes, and, and, then, and then you see the, the trajectory as over time it develops. And, and these mirrors used to reflect light keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of the way they help you track the development of the telescope and of the field of astronomy, right? So, so they keep showing you pictures of, of the, the diameter of the mirror and it starts out small. And then the next one is, you know, this one was eight inches across. And then the next one is two feet across. And then the next one is wider than my arms can reach. And, and why do the mirrors keep getting bigger? Because the astronomers keep wanting to see more and more and more of the glory of the heavens. They want to know more. There is so much out there to be known. 
The people who make telescopes, they love stars. (laughs) They love galaxies. They love planets. They love comets. They love everything that's out there. We want to see more and more and more. And that's what Mary means about God when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what she's drawing us into. It's not a life of pretending someone small is big just for a few hours or a couple of weeks every year. Magnifying the Lord being this sense of, Lord, there is more to you than I can see with my naked eye. There is more to you than my heart can understand on its own. And you have stooped down to come into our world through the birth of Jesus, and you have made yourself known. You have brought the distant near, and I want to see more of you. I want to know more of you. My soul magnifies the Lord. Why? What is it about him that makes us want to magnify him in that way? I need to have another word with you. This word it shows up several times in our translation. I'm thinking of verse 45. When Elizabeth says to Mary... Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The the particular word there used for blessed, there's another word behind the English translation uh, earlier in the text, verse 42. You you see the same English word, but it's a a different word in the original language. Here, Here the word specifically used in this context, verse 45, is... It means having what is necessary for a life of joy. It's the word that you would hear if, if you've ever heard the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus starts to gather disciples around himself and he, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The poor in spirit have what they need for a life of joy. Why? Because, because they have the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn right now have what they need for a life of joy, Jesus says. Why, Jesus? Because one day they will be comforted. They have what they need for joy because one day all the tears will be wiped away. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the lowly, For they shall inherit the earth. Meek people, humble people have what they need for a life of joy. Why, Jesus? Because the whole earth will be given to them as a gift from their Father. That's that's this word. Elizabeth is saying to Mary, Mary, you have what is necessary for a, a life of joy because God spoke some promises to you and you believed what he said. And Mary says, you're right, sister. You are right. I have what I need for a life of joy. And so she says in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I have what I need for a life of joy because God is my Savior. And then she says in verse 49, I have what I need for a life of joy because he who is mighty has done great things for me. This functions on two different levels. On, on, 
sort of, if, if we think about Luke's gospel and, and how it works as literature, as we're reading this story, Mary's words function on one level of just giving her personal testimony about her experience. She's saying, I had this amazing conversation from God. He sent an angel to tell me these incredible things. And I believe God is the Savior who's going to do what he said through the coming of Jesus. And my heart is full of joy. I'm rejoicing in what God is doing. She's giving her testimony about what has happened to her. And so you get a lot of this these you know first person pronouns my soul magnifies the lord my spirit rejoices he has looked on uh, on the humble estate of his servant referring to herself verse 49 he who is mighty has done great things for me but then something shifts and and later through this song the magnificat that mary's poem of praise pouring out she starts to talk about other people too so it's clear that her own experience is part of the experience of God's people more generally. Her, her, her posture isn't, you know, God's doing great stuff for me, and who cares about the rest of y'all? And so she starts to say, um, verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him. Not just for me, it's for everybody who fears Him. It's for everybody who magnifies him and sees him for all the radiant glory that he has. And and she goes on to say in verse 54, he has helped his servant. Well, the last time she talked about his servant, she was talking about herself. But now she says, he has helped his servant Israel. He's helped all of his people as he's announced the birth of Jesus, as he promised to do to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. So Mary's response to what God is doing through the birth of Jesus is more than just her personal perspective. She's representing all of God's people as she responds with joy to the coming of Jesus. And so Luke, as he's writing his gospel, is kind of saying to everybody who reads it or hears it read, This is for you. I'm asking you about your experience. Through Jesus, God has done everything necessary to secure for you a life of joy. Not just for Mary. Now, it's true that when Elizabeth said, Mary, blessed are you, she was talking to Mary. We don't want to ignore that. But it's also clear that Mary's response to all of this is lining up with how all of God's people ought to respond to what God is doing. And so Luke is telling us, you want this life of joy? God is offering it to you through the coming of Jesus. And that immediately challenges us to say, okay, there are other ways to try to secure joy, aren't there? And Mary talks about those. And we sang about it earlier. And I don't know if you like this song or not. Right? You don't have to raise your hand when I say this. But my soul cries out. When you sing that song, some of you may not like it. You know, because it it sounds a little harsh, right? Let the king beware. 
for God's justice tears every tyrant from his throne. Eh, I thought this was church. I thought this is where we came to talk about nice stuff. We don't talk like that. The hungry poor shall weep no more. Every mouth will be fed. That sounds like social justice. That doesn't sound like... Can we not sing this song again? I'm not sure I like it. Your very name puts the proud to shame. Well, you know why we're singing this song? This is just Mary's words turned into song lyrics. And it's okay if you don't like it. It just means there's part of the Bible you don't like. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he signs you up for a lifetime process of discipleship. Where he keeps polishing the mirror and saying, we're going we're gonna to make your heart reflect more of God's glory than it does right now. And there may be parts of what it means for me to be your Lord that you don't really like. And that's okay. Which is why I'm, Jesus is like, I am straight up front honest with everybody about that. You want to follow me? You got to take up a cross and deny yourself. And you're not going to like it. It's going to kind of hurt. I went to physical therapy a few days ago. And, and uh, my therapist said, hey, how's it going with your shoulder? I'm like, not so good. I'm feeling some new pain, and it's really sharp, and it's in a place I haven't felt it since my bike accident. That sounds bad. He's like, oh, no, no that's great. What? It's like, yeah, it means you've been compensating with all these other muscles, and you're not doing that anymore, and you're using those, and it really hurts. It's a sign of healing. Thanks. Spiritual guru who pretends to be a physical therapist <laughs> telling me that following Jesus is going to hurt because it's healing. And so Mary introduces us through her song to these kind of other ways to try to secure joy. This wasn't part of the text that Sonia read, but if she had kept reading, we, we would get to these verses that where Mary begins to say, he has shown, the strength, shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. Well, one way that we try to secure joy is through self-reliance. Proud people rely on the, themselves. I will not ask for help. I'm too. Proud to ask for help. I will work hard. I will earn it myself. And this approach, it, it's pretty comfortable. It means you don't have to trust anybody else. You don't have to stand before God and say, you know what, I'm one of those unworthy, weak people. You get to stand before God and say, I don't know what's wrong with the rest of the world. I worked hard and got, got my life of joy. The rest of them must just be lazy. They must just be inferior to people like me. So self-reliance feels kind of comfortable. I don't have to trust anyone else. I don't have to admit my weakness. But it breeds a kind of arrogance and superiority syndrome that's really ugly. And if you've been around somebody like that, or worse, if, if you remember the moments when you yourself have been like that and treated other people like that, you don't want the world filled with people who are trying to get joy that way. And it's actually kind of good news to hear Mary say, God will scatter the proud. He, he, he doesn't want the world full of arrogant, superior people. 
Another way we seek joy, mentioned in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Powerful people, I will do whatever it takes to secure a life of joy, even if somebody has to get hurt in the process. If powerful people have to hurt some weaker people along the way, they generally don't care. It produces a hard heart. We don't want the world filled with people who are seeking joy in that way, and it's actually good news when we hear that the coming of Jesus means that the mighty will be brought down from their thrones. The people whose hearts are hard and say, I will do whatever it takes to secure joy for myself, and I don't care if the rest of you get hurt in the process. It's actually good that God doesn't want the world to be filled with me when I'm acting like that or with you when your heart goes in that direction he he has a different way for us to have a life of joy and, and then Mary says there's a there's another way we seek joy he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away fulfillment through consumption I will get more I will have more. I will keep more. You know what that produces? Exhaustion. Because you're, you're saying, I will get a life of joy, and I almost have it. I almost have enough. I've almost got everything I need. I almost, oh man. Yes, almost. We just had this beautiful deck built on the back of our house. It is almost perfect, y'all. But there's some screws on it that are put in crooked. And they're bugging me to death. But we're almost there. Almost. I almost have enough for my dream retirement. I almost have the nicest car in the parking lot. I almost have the office I want at work. I'm almost there. I'm always almost at joy. And, and never quite. And so I'm always tired and I'm always jealous of somebody else whose screws aren't crooked and his car is nicer. Praise God that he doesn't want us to pursue those ways of getting to joy. There is another way and it is called the way of blessedness. Receive this life of joy as a gift from God the Savior. Don't get it because you have more. Don't get it because you did more. Don't get it because you're superior. Don't get it because you don't care who got hurt in the process. Get it because you stand before him and you say, Lord, I, I don't deserve this gift, but I would love to have it. If you're offering it to me and you're sending your son Jesus into the world to secure it for me, I accept. And that brings us to another word. It's the word holy. There. In everyday language, that, that word has come to mean religiously important. And you're like, uh, time to get the microscope out again. You know, God is holy. That's what Mary says in verse 49. That's why 
we asked Sonia to stop reading here because we wanted to be left with this thought. End of verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mm, bring out the microscope. God's name, God himself, is religiously important. Pretend that means something. Pretend it matters, and then put it away. But in Scripture, the word holy means packed with power. Something that is holy in the Bible has power to bring great joy into your life or to bring great sorrow into your life, depending on how you handle it. And so in the New Testament, God's people are called holy people. Saints is the way it gets translated in English. And God says, if, if you treat my children well, it will bring great joy into your life. If you treat my children poorly, it will bring great sorrow into your life. They are holy people. Your relationships with each other are powerful things. That's, that's what holiness means in Scripture. So to be told that God himself is holy, that his name is holy, we, we are being told at the birth of Jesus as his he is coming into the world. We are being told, you cannot ignore God, our Savior, the one who is doing great things in the coming of Jesus. You can't ignore him. You can either have an experience of him that leads to great joy or one that leads to great sorrow, but you cannot do neither. You, neutrality is not an option. Because he is holy, we have to respond. Each one of us has to respond to what God has done through Jesus. And there are only two ways to respond. Mary outlines them, right? She says there are two, there are two ways to respond. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Well, there's the first way to respond, isn't it? If we respond to God like people who are, we can be filled without you. We don't need you. Thank you for your effort, but we're okay without you. Then, then that leads to being scattered, Mary says. Being brought down, verse 52 says, from a throne. Being sent away, verse 53 says, empty. That's one way to respond to what God's doing through Jesus. There's another way to respond. Mary speaks about that too. It's to stand before God and say, I am one of those who is empty unless you fill me. I have nothing to offer you. I cannot get the life of joy that I truly want on my own terms, the only hope I have is to receive it as a gift from you. And Mary talks about that in terms of humility and being hungry. Lord, I, my life is not full, and I am not able to change that myself. Those are Mary's words. In our language, we would say, well, it's either we look at Jesus and we say, I've got everything I need for a joyful life. Why would I need Jesus to do anything for me? 
Or we look at him and we say, I know I can't have a joyful life if I'm following these paths of self-reliance and, and power that mistreats other people and, and fulfillment through consumption. I can only have a joyful life if God secures it for me and then gives it to me. And that's why the whole Bible is like a telescope. Yes, this part of Luke's gospel works that way, but every page of Scripture works like a telescope. Helping us to see who Jesus is. Here is Luke's gospel saying, look through this telescope and you will see who Jesus is. He's the son of the most high God. He is the one who is crucified and resurrected to redeem the world. He is the true Savior and Lord, not the Roman emperor. Jesus, how will you respond to him? We're going to sing this song with Mary that says, Jesus is the bringer of salvation through whom God, my Savior, is at work. He is the, Jesus is the way that God has chosen to do mighty things for weak people who can't do those things for themselves. And if we treat Jesus being the Son of God and the bringer of salvation and, and the worker of redemption as tiny little microscopic things that don't matter that much, it leads to great sorrow. It leads to being sent away, empty. But if we treat Jesus and we treat these realities about who he is as galaxies that need to be explored for the rest of our lives that are blazing with radiant glory, that if we could just get one glimpse of one one billionth of one star and see it in all its power, we would be in awe for the rest of our lives if Jesus is like that for you. If your heart is beginning to hunger for more and more and more of him and you're saying, Jesus, keep polishing the mirror because I want it to reflect your glory more fully than it does. Jesus, keep working that shoulder and I know it's going to hurt, but you're going to heal me in the process. Jesus, I want more of you, whatever it takes. That is everything you need for a life of joy that joy will be perfect forever when Christ comes again and in his grace he is willing to give us foretastes of that joy now accompanied by a whole lot of continued pain and sorrow because we still live in this world but that's not the final word the final word is Jesus is the one who gives us all that is necessary for a life of joy. It's a good day to ask ourselves how we're responding to him. It's a good day to put the microscope away and to pull the telescope back out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
you humbled yourself to take on our flesh and blood, and that meant that, like us, you you were susceptible to injury and to pain. When you were cut, you bled. And when you were crucified, you died. You did all of that to secure for us all that we need for a life of joy, beginning now, growing and increasing as we learn more and more of who you are, and being perfected forever when you come again. Lord, if we have forgotten that joy, remind us today how good it is and restore us, restore our hearts to a growing love for you. Some of us have never known that joy. Help us to know it today for the first time. Help us to lay down our own tools for securing joy and to stand before you and say, we are empty and our only hope of being filled is you. We're all in. We pray these things in your name. Amen.